Hey, everybody out there in the podcast world. Uh, this is Clay Belding, your host this week for We're the Pavement In podcast. And I got two special guests with me. We got a man by the name of Rich Dobbins, who's uh, in the feed world and ranching world. He's had a business called Cowboys Choice Feeds in the horse world and cattle world. And now we are on to a new adventure with buck and bull feeds. And we're going to be feeding some deer and some elk. He's based out of Southern Oregon, and we're growing this feed in Northern California. A lot of the ingredients come from California and can't really get it any other parts of the world, so it's a perfect combination. And then we have the man, the myth, the legend. You've heard him on the Foul Life podcast. You've heard him on This Life Ain't For Everybody podcast, Mr. Les Nesbitt. He's killed everything under the sun here in America. What is it, 27? 29. 29 North American animals. The Royal Slam, Grands. Super Slam. Super Slam. And uh, he is an absolute badass, 79 years old, still going strong, better than, better shape than anybody that I know, even my... In this room. Yeah, <laughs> definitely <laughs> in this room. And today we're just going to have a little conversation about your experiences hunting and uh, as a hunter across the country and what you've done and experienced and how that ties into the feed world of what we're, you know, on a new adventure, what we're about to do. So... Um, I'd just like to start it off by maybe asking Les, what is your favorite hunt? You know, I've been I've been asked that numerous times, and it's hard to pick out a favorite one. But uh, they they all have a different aspects to them. Probably the, what I enjoyed the most is I had a little pack string of horses. <clears throat> Excuse me, and uh, I used to love to go into. Uh, some of the wilderness areas in Nevada by myself or with uh, some friends. My wife would go in and, and spend a couple weeks in the camp and hunt mule deer. It was uh, it was uh, um, it was just a lot of fun. I had the horses. I liked horses. And uh, you know, the wilderness and, and isolated places in Nevada are really interesting. It was just a lot of fun. It's a combination of the hunt and just the the area that you were in yeah that i've never done that have you done that rich have you done oh yeah yeah we do that we uh we got horses on the ranch so we we try to do that at least every other year you know and pack back in and depends on what we're hunting for you know usually it's for elk so it's it it's it's a totally different experience you know um just the just the the details that have to go into that versus being able to pull up a trailer truck and a trailer to a spot pull out your camp and go yeah, you want to have your ducks in a row when you leave camp yeah. because it's not like you're going to turn around and go <laughs> run back real fast. So, yeah. yeah, and I'm sure Les knows that too. I mean, it, it never fails, though, when you get back there and get things set up and then you go, oh, yeah, I could have used that. But, uh, yeah, you improvise, you know. It's just it's like the old days of hunting. It's the way they used to do it, you yeah. know, the John Browning days and stuff like that. There's a place there, I think, in uh, Mendocino Mountain Range in California that – John Brang had a cabin set up there, and they would take horseback. They would come up there. It was 55 miles to that cabin, horseback. And you'd be amazed what they had up there. They had a pool table that they packed <laughs> all the way up there and reassembled in one of the cabins so they could play pool up there. That's cool. Yeah. I bet that slate was in a couple different pieces, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not a solid slate. <laughs> yeah. The the area where these cabins are is actually called Slate Flat. Oh, <laughs> so. I knew that. I, talking like I know. See, Les, how smart I am? <laughs> so I agree with Les. It's a totally different experience. It's something that, uh, 
you know your average hunter doesn't do but uh, it, it's fun it's fun i would guess mine would be if you're wondering i mean you didn't ask but i'm just going to throw <laughs> it out there um i would say my favorite hunting to do is coyote predator hunting uh because you become the hunted i love being there i mean one of the smartest one of the smartest animals out there and to be able to trick them to you know especially like what i love to do is shoot them with shotguns there's nothing funner to see them just charge you and and be able to shoot them right there you know it's it's fun for me but i would say the best hunt that i've ever been on was last year was my nephew on that elk hunt it was such a cool experience for him and to, to see the ups and downs that he went through just emotionally from being very close on the very first day to kill the elk we killed seven days later um we had him at 517 yards or something on the very first day and he was in and out of trees and with a hundred and something other elk and just didn't have a clear shot and even though he was and the gun was capable of shooting that far didn't happen and then it progressively got worse for the next six days didn't see him well, we saw him, but he was in the National Forest. And then we saw him, and he was out. And we saw him, and he was in too late, too early, whatever it was. And then one day, we never even saw him. And on the very last day that we ended up killing him, um, yeah, put that on silent, Rich. Jeez, Sorry, what do you think this was. is? Uh, on the very last day that we killed him, <clears throat> excuse me, didn't see him in the morning in the area that we had been seeing him every day, basically. And we, we ended up calling his home, and we never saw him. Three hours later, we found him again and worked out, and then we shot him at 178 yards, and he was dead in seven seconds. And that was his first elk. For, well, yeah, amazing. This kid's now 17. He's had three deer tags, a coveted elk tag, and now this year he pulled a coveted unbelievable area antelope tag where his father and my brother killed an 84 and some change two years ago. And I got word right where we killed him. There's another one that's moved in that's right there too. So, oh boy, he's he's been very lucky with his hunting <laughs> career. But being a part of that, I I mean, the are, video, you, guys, are you going to film that hunt too? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, that hunt and my hunt. But yeah. that, that we filmed everything that he's ever done. Mm-hmm. Same with my kid. Ever since he was two, he's been going out coyote hunt with us and everything. And I I actually have a thing called Chase's story that's out there. That's cool. From two when I was packing him in on my shoulders to stands in little race car uh, <laughs> slippers and you know stuff that he was awesome. I got some of that myself. And, uh, <laughs> so that, that that's cool to be able to hunt with him and have those memories mm-hmm. um, back. Back in the day, my dad always took a bunch of pictures, but not a lot of film. But now, doing what we do, we film everything. So yeah. we have that and able to put to a story together from two with Chase's, uh, his deal from two to eight. And now, Chance, we filmed everything since he's been 12. He's been on coyote hunt since then, but his big game hunting since he's been 12. And uh, it, to the emotions that I went through, even when he killed that freaking elk, it was unbelievable. I mean, I started bawling like a little baby. <laughs> I mean, I was crying more to him, his dad, everybody. It was it was pretty darn cool. So that was yeah. probably probably the most memorable hunting for me. Um, and that hunt kind of relates to where we're going to talk about today is all about the feed. Mm-hmm. We yeah, found we, we found his sheds from either the year before or two years, no more than two years ago, from when he killed it, and he was sixty inches bigger in his sheds. Yeah. And all due to feed because a fire went through right where he lived and he left during the fire, 
but it was his home. Mm-hmm. He went right back there and lived there, and all he had to eat was, Ash. you know, sheet grass and nothing right. nutrient, no, mm-hmm. no, 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 nothing like that. So he regressed, even though he was a huge-bodied bull, and we found it up. It was 60 inches. So basically we have about 600 and some odd inches of this bull, mm-hmm. and uh, we made a pull light rack out of his sheds and a mount with the one that he killed. So that's that's pretty cool. But it comes down to feed. The the, the animals have to have the correct feed, even if they have the genetics to Mm -hmm. do it. The genetics can only take them so far, correct? That's That's right. You know, one of the other stories that you had told me about some of your hunt are those two mule deer you got, (laughs) was it two, three years ago? Yep. Two, 200-plus yeah. Within a day I've, of each other, I forgot. I, I forgot about that. Because <laughs> I was. It, oh, you told me the story, and then you, but then you had the videos yeah. of everything, and it was. Uh, who who else had Alex? The, Alex, Alex, that's Curry. right. Yeah. Um, that was a neat story. Of course, the fact that I'm sitting here watching it on video while you're telling. Yeah, me that's about the thing it. about film, right? You can. A lot of people that say that they killed two 200 inch deer back to back nights in public land, Nevada, with a bow. That's tough. Not only tough, people would, you're bullshit. No way. Mm-hmm. But then you show them the film on both of them, they're like, holy yeah. crap, you know? So, uh, yeah, I totally forgot about that last. I was so jacked up about last year's <laughs> elk hunt. But, yeah, with me and Alex and Clint, who, have you met Clint yet, our third brother? No, I haven't met him. Um, but we all had tags, but Clint hurt his shoulder, and he couldn't pull his bow back. And the night that Alex killed his, it was 197 and 5 eighths. Um, Deer with a oh unbelievable seven by six Ugh. and uh, in the velvet or hard in velvet oh, yeah. archery um, on the last hour that he could hunt um, and then the next night he was going to go home and I said Alex I need help one more night come on I need <laughs> whatever and Clint was actually with Alex and he had a chance to kill the deer I killed they were running together with like seven other bucks in a bachelor group early on you know and. He couldn't pull his bow back. He tried to even that night, and he couldn't really? do it. Couldn't do it. Oh, man. And so the next night, Clint had to go home, and it was just me and Alex Right. that next night. Clint left that next morning after doing Alex's deer, and the next morning, or next afternoon, actually, I smoked that freaking 201 and 5 or something <laughs> buck. Back-to-back nights, almost 400 inches horn, and it was a straight four. Was he? And alex's deer could fit inside my rack really it was i'll show you pictures after yeah, this deal it was that's classic. unbelievable yeah so that that's a pretty darn good one because a 200 inch mule deer oh. is like one of the hardest things to do it's a, getting a mule deer in boone and crockett is probably the hardest animal that there is to get in the sense that they actually lowered the requirements mm-hmm. from i think 195 to 190 or something like that because it's so difficult to accomplish a Boone and Crockett mule deer. Yeah. It's yeah, tough, you know. So in Nevada, you know, you got it goes back to the feed thing too and minerals, you know, and I think Nevada's obviously high in minerals in the state. I mean, so you get pockets, you know, of certain areas that have great bucks in them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's genes as well as feed, you know. And I think you'll go to some places that look beautiful. There should be all, and then you'll see small bucks there, yeah. right? Yeah, but it looks nice. Looks like they should be sporting some great stuff. And then you go out in the middle of nowhere land, and here they are. You know, so it's uh, it goes to the feed and and their genetics. It's both. Well, speaking you know? of the feed, tell me again how you got into this deal. 
Well, we, uh, me and my partner Brandon, you know, we've been doing the horse feed and stuff for a long time, and and we both hunt. You know, Brandon goes out of state hunting, so do I. And and uh, I told him one day, I says, you know, I'm looking at all this deer feed that's out there, and all the stuff I'm reading, none of it's worth a damn. You know, and these deer attractants, and I've tried them, he's tried them, and you know, I got buddies and family, and just none of it ever worked for us. You know, and. and maybe it does on somewhere else but i couldn't get any of it to work and so i told him i said hey i'm a we're going to develop a deer feed uh no corn i said i don't want a corn in it it's no good for him anyway i says uh in in northern california we have the opportunity of so many diverse stuff to use you know because you got rice and you got grape you got tomato you got potato you got plums uh, almonds uh, yeah everything. everything so we came up with this blend and uh you know with with our deer feed and i think it's it's going to be a rock star you know and the testing we've done so far you, you can't keep them away from it yeah. you know and then we do have a special mineral vitamin pack that we put in it and for bone growth and and everything else so i think it's it's going to be a winner so yeah. our our clientele are quote unquote the high fence hunting areas and and, far, uh, and deer farms and deer farms yeah. that sell yeah like yeah. that and hunters in some states can feed yep. and they can hunt over bait what do you call bait or feed or whatever you want to say mm. and also maybe government agencies that feed deer through the winter yes correct yeah and that's what i'm working on in the state of oregon right now so i think uh you know a lot there's a lot of states out there that feed during the winter you know to keep these animals healthy and keep them from a die off especially on a hard winter you know you, you know they move down they migrate and, and they might dig it onto farms and ranches and stuff but there's nothing growing you know mm-hmm. it's it's all done so and, and a lot of it's covered in two feet of snow so they're digging and scratching and you know trying to make a living doing that and, and if they make it out of the winter the next year they could be so stressed out they might not throw a fawn they might not grow yeah, absolutely any, anything, yeah so. and herd falls off and you know it's all about the feed and if they can't get it on and survive then they're going to fall off you know big time and uh and then that makes it easier for the predators. So now you got weak mm-hmm. animal herd, and here comes the predators, and it's you know like taking fish like out of a barrel. Work, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever hunted over uh, bait or in a state that allows it less? No, I have not. I've never hunted over bait. Um, um, you know, maybe slipped in a dove hunt or two when there was some indicator out there, <laughs> but uh, uh, never, never for big game. No, on a feeder. Um, You've hunted like in Kansas where they do food plots and yes. stuff like that, but not yeah. like a feed that he's talking about. No, no. And and I have, uh, I've hunted whitetail in Kansas quite a bit. It was a, bi- a big ranch. It was all kind of farm farmland, but uh, uh, no no feed lots. I've never hunted over a feed lot area. Is the science behind the feed? The same for a mule deer as it is a blacktail as it is an elk as it is in a whitetail. Yeah, follow deer, anything. Is like it, that. They're yeah. all basically, it, it, I guess, what is it called? A, a genus or the familia? They're all part of that same kind of yeah, group. Cervic, yeah. And then cervic, did yeah. you do the science as far as the feed that they're, a, a whitetail's eaten in Kentucky versus a blacktail that's eaten in Northern California, Southern Oregon? mule deer in the high desert nevada yeah i read about this stuff for you know off and on i went back to texas a couple times and met with big ranches and uh, deer farms and elk farms and stuff and and just picked everybody's brain you know and all the stuff i read in texas amm put out a big thing about feed and and there's a lot of it out there you know um 
the studies on corn and the effects on corn on deer and everything. And that's that's where it all started because, you know, I'm looking at all the stuff, even the stuff that I've bought, you know, the the deer attracting blocks and stuff is jammed with corn. Well, corn's basically one of the cheapest products on the market that you can get for a feed product, right? I mean, you can buy a 50-pound bag of cracked corn for your chickens for, what, yeah. 12 bucks? <laughs> yeah. and, and does corn do the same thing to animals as it does to us, right? Pretty much. What goes, goes in, in comes out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You see the kernel? You know, they get some <laughs> they get some sugars off of it, you know, some different things off of it. But as far as a feed, no, it's not. They need other things other than that, you know. And you go back into Kansas and you go back into these other states, well, one of the main things they farm back there is corn, right? Yeah. They farm that for feed for animals, for their cattle and their dairies and all that kind of stuff. So that it's natural for the deer that are raised, born and raised there to eat yeah. corn, you know. And there's one study out there, if the, you know, and they were showing deer that were been like in Kansas and Iowa and different places where they're born and raised basically in a cornfield, they're okay because their bodies have adjusted to it. Now you take a, bl- a black-tailed deer or something that's never been around corn, start jamming corn down him, it'll kill him. Hmm. So I thought, wow. And then I was talking all the, and all these ranches and all these farms are looking for some. Everybody's trying something different. You know, they're all looking for this perfect feed, and and most of them don't want corn in it any yeah. either. But when you're in the feed business, you'll see a lot of these feed companies. You know, if you look at your feed label, which is very important to look at, and you guys out there that are buying feed, a lot of you know, some of you don't know, but the first ingredient in on that label is what's most, most in that bag. So if it says corn or if it says hay scrapings or whatever, that's the number one product in the feed, and then it falls off from there. So you got to look at these things and go, guys, what's my deer getting out of this, you know? And it depends on what time of the year you're feeding too you know if these bucks are in rut or if you're breeding they gotta have the protein yeah Yeah. so you don't want them to fall off and get weak and especially these these animals on high fences too even though it's a high fence the lions and you know the tigers and bears still get in there i mean they go under and over and everything else so if you got a weak herd say goodbye you know it don't take long for a lion to get in a 1500 acre fenced ranch and start wiping things out you know and trying to nab one of those lions is pretty tough they're pretty catty oh. so, you know. yeah i've hunted you've hunted mountain lion before last yes i have i love mountain lion hunting it is it's and a it's, lot of fun it's a lot of hiking a lot of running yeah. but what's your favorite part of it if it's like me it's the dog because i mean you tree a cat in a tree or on a cliff or whatever the shot is right you're at 20 it, yards and it it's is what around, it is the shot is it, it's the work and the hike yeah. and the dogs is what it is for exactly. me exactly yeah. you know and if you're a dog guy it's it's fun chasing those hounds yeah. and the physical part of it um yeah it's, oh, i agree it's fun that run is fun yeah i love you know it. we ran hound i started i got hound dogs when i was 16 and i got out of it probably when i was 42 and between 16 and 42 is the best shape i've ever been in my life <laughs> <laughs> you know so we somebody says something about running a marathon i said hell i did that all the last weekend you know chasing hound dogs and the other part is it is you're in a pickup too so you're tri- trying to keep up with your dogs you know if they go off a hill you got to jump in the truck and catch up with them so i was taking one of the hunters one time and i'm flying around the corner and and he looked at me and he goes, "Man, this is a combination between NASCAR and hunting. This is great." That's <laughs> you know? true. Yeah. And I, I said, I, yeah. "I had a lot of fun with it, but I don't know that I would shoot another lion. I, I, I don't mind going on the chase. Yeah. But to shoot him out of the tree, 
I did it once, and I think I I, I completely agree. I'm I'm right there with you. Yeah. I uh, I've killed I've killed a couple, and I don't know if I would ever do it again. No, either. I've been on some runs, but I never. I would here's once. I would kill another one, like calling him in if they came into a predator yeah. car and and you go call them in that's different it's than treating them absolutely that's, you're, that's a whole mm-hmm. different aspect but yeah. that's the only way i would kill another one again is if call, yeah. called some more in like we did to me it's all about the chase you know i can't tell you how many animals that i treat took pictures of and left you know I, sure. probably you know we'd take hunters and a lot of hunters are looking for that big bear you know and now he's too small take pictures and you know yeah. off to the next one and week in week out pretty much i mean We'd probably take 10 hunters a year, maybe kill three bears, you know. And But it was all the chase for me, you know, the dogs and who's doing what. And, you know, and a lot of these bears, a lot of them won't tree, you know. You get yeah. some of these big gnarly bears, they ain't going to go up a tree. They're They'll smart. sit there and fight them dogs all yeah. day long, you know. So you got to get down there in the mix and try to get your dogs off or take the bear and then get your dogs. So is, is Mountain Lion one of the 29? Yeah. So it is considered? It is. You know, one thing about hounds, guys. Uh, uh, their dogs are out there running. They all sound like a bunch of dogs barking to me. They know every dog. They know the different bark, I guess mm-hmm. it is, if, for different situations. If he's in the tree, if he's whatever. On the ground, yeah. a beta yeah. up on the ground. And, and yeah, that's, that's cool. really interesting. It's you know, it's like anything else. They know their animals. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Are, do do they, do would they benefit from a feed like that as far as, if they got into a place in Texas, you know, that had that feed or anywhere else. Would they eat it? Would they eat it? Oh, hell yeah. They would. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, bears, especially bears. I uh, mean, bears would say, yeah, because yeah. of the sweetness. But Lions, you depend on hungry there. You know, they yeah. might eat it. They're, they're known to eat almost anything, too, as well. So. Did you, when you went to the science, did you go not only to the farms and, and these places to pick their brains did you go with biologists and mm-hmm. you know? yeah i worked with uh, one biologist out of california and then uh another one up in oregon as well and then i talked to a, a few in texas when i was back there so um yeah i kind of got their feel on it you know they were they're more educated on the wild feed side of it you know that's what they did in school not so much manufactured feed you okay. know so they're they're they were more educated on that so you're trying to up that right so the animals out there eating grass or eating whatever they can get their hands on to and uh, you're trying to up that right you're trying to make it tasty for them attractant so they will eat it and then you're trying to give them more protein and, and more stuff in the feed for them you know because they they get a hunt and scratch for everything they get in the wild you know and there was a perfect example uh, up there uh, east of our place there is a it's almost gone now but for about three or four years there was an old stump up there and the stump had been hollowed out and down in there is minerals and that place is just tore up around that whole stump from elk and deer trying to get to those minerals and you can see where they'd lick it and they just lick the ground lick the ground and they pawed underneath it um you know underneath the root part of it and everything and digging it out and you see some bear scratching on there too so you know those animals are looking for that mineral product you know and you know i took pictures of them stuff it's just amazing how they just totally demolished that stump trying to get to those minerals you know so and you'll see that you know in different places i've watched elk you know they'll go in this one area and they're over there licking and licking and what are they doing you know and then you go over there and look 
Well, it's just mineral deposits coming out of the ground, and they're licking that, you know, trying to get it in their system. So along with making a manufactured feed, you get all the best of the worlds into one deal, right? Yeah. So that animal doesn't have to go 10 miles to get this, and he doesn't have to go here. You know, they got to get water, and they got to get feed plot, and, you know, whatever they're doing. So, How many states is it legal to feed? Oh, I think 11 or 12, something like that, maybe 13. I know they're, they're easing up on a lot of this stuff, so it I, I know in Nevada you can't do any type of feeder. Um, the Division of Wildlife feeds some during the winter. Yeah, they do. But it's only I think alfalfa and stuff. I don't think they yeah. do any pellet feed. Yeah, they do a lot of alfalfa grass mix, bales and stuff. And that's the one of the things that we were talking with the with the fishing game is the amount of money they spend on on alfalfa and regular loose hay. They're losing fifty percent of it because of of the animals end up laying on it. You know, there's it's just not practical, and a lot of that stuff is a lot of stemmy stuff. You know, in that it's not premium alfalfa, so it's a lot of big stems, and they don't digest that well, so mm-hmm. it goes right out. You know, so they're not, you know, they're getting their bellies full of, you know, just about nothing. So, and uh, same thing, you know, look at cattle. You know, you you got to manage your cattle with feed so a lot of this hay stuff is like a filler and that's what they call it a filler so it's just keeping them kind of fat and sassy it's not doing that much for them and then certain parts you know in the afternoon or in the morning they'll be feeding them more of a premium hay you know to keep their bodies going and then throughout the day they just mose around and eat pretty much junk you know and at that time do they need the high protein to make it through the winter like they do during the rutting months yeah r- well you go months most of these ruts you know in, in the deer or november you know late season anyway so what happens is with these bucks in the wild and stuff they're going from rut and soon as ruts open or during rut here comes the snow flies yeah. you know things start getting cold so they're going into winter depleted you know they've been running around all over the country chasing does or cows and and time winter hits there you are you know so and then they're on the they're on the hunt for the food you know and a lot of them move down early you know on some of these ranches so they can bulk back up again you know so the the food's the key you know it's life it's what it is so So most of your food comes in pellets do do you do block like salt block type no we do all of ours loose pellets is it yeah it's a loose pellet and there's two protein there's a low feed. protein and a high protein low protein summer months before rut kind yeah, of conditioning just, just conditioning. keep them going and 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 there's a high protein if they're breeding or in rut you know on the wild side of it and so. what's out of it the feed to lessen the protein what, what where's the protein come from uh, what? We bet it's either rice bran and or sunflower or both and that'll will lower that a little bit and up one of the others but uh in, the in those items are more expensive so you know you up that protein you got to pay a little bit more for it it's not that much more but you know and at the feed mill you know you're you know you're calculating everything there and weighing everything so to get your high protein you got to add those two items up so and so how is a pellet made what's the process of you throw everything into one and grind it up to a powder and then we grind our products separately. Okay. So like our alfalfa, we buy our alfalfa from a facility in Northern California that's already been pelletized. So it's already been ground and pelletized once with no binder. That pellet comes down bulk truckload. We regrind that pellet again, and then we blend it with our other products. 
So if you look in the middle, you got a couple grinders and then you got base storage for each raw product. And then prior to the pellet mill itself, you have a blender, huge one, right? You're, Mixes them all yeah, together. Yeah, you're bucket loading it with a 966 loader. And then it's blending it and then it runs up and goes into the pelletizer. We have a steam in there that moisturizes it prior to it going into the pelletizer. Then it comes out and then you can adjust. We have different dyes that you can make a bigger round pellet if you want, or you can make a narrower pellet. And then we make you have a die on there also with a knife that, that regulates the length of your pellet. So our pellets are, you know, right around an inch long, somewhere around there. They vary. And is know. it this, what is it, three-eighths diameter? Yeah, three-sixteenths, depends on what we're running, you know. So we've, we've, we've been trying different stuff to see, you know, what what the customer likes and what's out there on the market as well, too. Well, I'd imagine so. it would... Uh, certain feeders i imagine gravity gravity feeders don't worry so much but automatic feeders do do they Uh, yeah they have a little uh, so you can't you can't put a big fat pellet in an automatic feeder so they have a spinner on them and they have a drop down spring thing so the way like the mp ranch king feeders that we use they they're on automatic so you can set them you can feed five times a day 20 times a day once a day whatever you want to do so the smaller pellets work good in them. You get into a big fat pellet, you don't have enough room when that spinner drops that'll plug up. Yeah. And especially if you get some areas where there's some moisture and the pellet wants to swell a little bit, and then it's not good. So we, we try to keep on the smaller side of the pellet definitely for those. And they, they work great. Those feeders work great. You know, they're designed to feed a pound a second. So yeah. you can run five seconds, four pounds, and where you go, whatever and you want to do. Do... There are some states that you can actually hunt over an active feeder, mm-hmm. and there's some that I think you have to be off of or away from a certain um, distance. Yeah, it kind of depends on where you're at. You know, Texas is a good example. You can hunt there. You know, over, over feeders, the over, over the, feeder. the feeder. Yeah, so they got automatic feeders out there, and then they got blinds set up at 50 yards, 100 yards, wherever yeah. it happened to be. So, different states. I think Kentucky you can do both it depends on what you know but they you got to read the book though because things change so fast yeah. you know and they're different it's just like hunting equipment you know a lot of states look you can have a lighted knock some yeah, you can't right. expandable broadhead yes which not I, expandable which broadhead. i don't understand i i mean i know it's <laughs> well they make with... tracking for your arrows some states allow that and some don't that's I'm, what i'm saying i don't yeah. understand why yeah. that's you would think it would be a good thing because mm-hmm. if you hit an animal you'd want to find, know, it. <laughs> find it and know that you hit it it's more ethical yeah totally um, so i mean i don't understand all or do that. they just figure one one is is more lethal or no it's just they the, the, as far as lighted the lighted knock is there's I, I'm, nothing, I'm not a bow hunter I there, just, there, yeah. so all the light knock is is when you it's not lighted it's at the back end oh, where okay. it's attached to well, i thought you were talking about the razor tip oh no no it, it, uh, jack o'connor who was a big rifle guy one of his biggest statements when it comes down to different kinds of weapons <clears throat> was uh, people would talk to him about bullets, and he would say, well, you just tell me at what point of the animal's death did the bullet fail? Which, exactly. You know. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah. Well, every state's different. You know, like up where we live in Oregon, there's a muzzleloader season, mm-hmm. but you can't have a scope. Yeah, same here. <laughs> yeah. Same, uh, Some no, states no, you can no, have scopes. No, no optics. You can have here. iron sights only. Right. Um, unless... I think they just passed if you have a certain 
uh, ailment. Disability. Disability. I think you can only maybe have a two or three. I think it's a one power. Is it a one power? And you have to have some visual problem. Okay, so visual problem, you can have a one. I knew they changed something like that. So it's the same, you know, all that kind of stuff falls in. You just got to read the books and make sure you're in whatever state you're in. It's legal or not legal, and you know there's fine lines. And yeah, you don't want to. Yeah, you don't <laughs> get busted over. Yeah, something. we don't want to say, hey, go buy our feed and start using it in the state that you're in. It's illegal. Yeah, not yeah. Good. Hey, Rich, I thought you said. <laughs> no, yeah. check the DNR. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Every state's different, and it changes. You know, I've seen changes every year. Can you feed an organ? No, no, you cannot. Got deer farms in Oregon, but you, you cannot can't, feed. You have can't. you? So how long has this feed been available or out? It's just coming we out now. came up with the feed two years ago, okay. and we've been you know doing our due due diligence. So we've changed our our recipe, I guess you could say, in the last year. Yeah. Just what we have available in California, probably most states maybe have fifty percent of what we have available down there. So. We've been looking at different aspects of what's available in California, you know, as far as sunflower and these different things and prune and how to process these products as well and to get them in the feed. So we don't use a binder um, on our pellets. And a lot of, I'd say almost all the companies use a bentonite, which is a mine product, and or molasses to hold their pellets. Our binder is ground almond hulls, you know, which is a good feed product, and they've been feeding it for years which that product is also in our horse feed as well so that that works as our binder and it gives it a sweet taste an attractive taste as well so yeah i'm excited like i was i was talking the other day last i've i've never really been because in nevada you can't feed so it's never really crossed my mind as far as feeding the animals and hunting yeah. over that but in certain spots like say saskatchewan big deer you'd never see them if there wasn't a you know you couldn't bait in those forests they put out um alfalfa for the bears and, yeah. they, and jelly and whatever else they yeah. do for bears to pull them out because you would Lapis. never ever be able to kill an animal in those how thick that stuff is up there you have to draw them out somehow so i'm not knocking anybody who's going to be able to hunt any way they can where it's legal if it's legal do it providing for your family but, you and, know in the fishing game, they they're usually pretty up on this. I mean, if you've got a hundred deer in an area and you can harvest ten percent of them, fifteen percent, so it's ten or fifteen deer. Whether you do it over uh, bait or whether you don't do it over bait, you only kill fifteen deer. You're yeah, you're accomplishing the same. You're thing. accomplishing the same thing mm-hmm. uh, with bait or without bait. You you have a limitation as Nevada does the amount of deer tags that are going to be available and they know that their success rate is say 40 percent so they compensate here and there so mathematically whether you're feeding or not feeding they can make it fit Mm -hmm. so yeah that it's a perfect question of why nevada doesn't allow it because in some years a couple years ago there was such a high amount of they were, you know, you would get a, a cow elk tag with every deer tag. Yes. And, you, you know, just a, instead of upping the tags and it's, you know, if you want to kill off a certain amount because they're going to get sick or whatever in an area, why not allow feeding to be able to accomplish your goal 
easier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so. Yeah, I, and they could do that off and on. Doesn't mean they, once they do it, they stick, have to yeah. do it forever, mm-hmm. you know. So there's certain places, and we've talked about that with fishing game, there's certain places that that herd is depleting, you know, whether it's from predators or whether it's fires or feed or all those issues combined. What happens is, you know, talking to like the biologists, what, like this place we were talking about last year, it was a big fireplace and it burned up like 4,000 acres, right? So now it's going to be a whole year before there's feed popping back up, right? So what happens? So that herd's got to get feed somewhere, yeah. you know, either they relocate or they get depleted and then here comes the predators you know because it's it's easy money you know you get some of these cow elk that are sick i mean you know one of these wolves or one of these mountain lions boom it's done coyotes whatever the case might be so the feed aspect is huge and in something like that i says well why don't you bring feed in here for this this group you know it's probably 75 elk in that group and feed them this winter and, and keep them going yeah. you know and you carry them through the winter and then once the winter's over they could meal out and go where they need to you'd think that the fish and game would have enough respect for the animal to do that mm-hmm. yeah. not just a strict quota it is what it is kind of deal you'd right. think they would have the animal's best interest in mind when it comes to something like that you would think and a lot of them you know it, it well we can't do that and we can't do this and then the law says this and so you know it's like fires going in the wilderness area you know you can't take equipment in there and fight yeah. you know it's like well you're just gonna let it all burn i guess and you know some of the you know back in the day you know like when my granddad was ranching and my great granddad they burnt on the way out of the mountains and, oh hell yeah they did a lot of burning you know not huge but certain areas they would burn depending on if they're bringing sheep out of the mountains or if they're bringing cows out of the mountains they would burn so that place would be flourishing the next year with yeah. grass and they'd alternate, right? They wouldn't just burn half the hillside down. They'd yeah. they'd burn hundred acre here, a patch, or over here, and, and I've, I've they heard. were managing the forest, and, and not just for their own animals. Yeah. You know, all the deer and the elk enjoyed the same benefits. I've seen know? a YouTube or some maybe even a documentary on that of how we've gotten away from mm-hmm. managing the land through fires like that. Mm-hmm. Instead, now it's we don't touch it and there's it's a tinderbox because we don't go do anything on the undergrowth we just let the trees fall instead of picking that up and maybe using it for trees and houses and whatever else Mm -hmm. we just let it go there because as environmentalists we can't do it and now one little spark she's gone everything is so burned up and it takes years and years and years to come back if ever and so i just don't understand the the even even the native americans years ago they used fire that's what it was the native americans used fire Fire, to do that yeah Yeah. to to enhance the an area okay thank you Uh, that's what it was those the native americans there's a book out there about native americans burning up land to be more sustainable and fruitful for them Mm -hmm. and that's i mean that they were well as you well know nothing grows in the shade right so you know back in controlled burns and stuff like that now you still do a few of them but very little the logging has went away you know it's probably 50 percent of what it used to be and the logging helped as well mm-hmm. you know you went out there and you thin the forest i mean these guys just can go whack trees down i yeah. mean it's there's a science behind this you know so they go through and they log and they clean it up and everything and then you have sunlight hitting the ground and now we have berries growing we got grass growing we got some you know good good brush growing and that's one way now you go up there you, you, there's there's nothing but pixie sticks through there 
in one match would you'd sayonara. This it's whole a, baby's going to burn down. It's absolutely you know? amazing that. And there's no animals in it either. Yeah, and it's, it's what you're talking about covering up ground and not letting things grow. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely amazing. And on a microcosm of that, look at gardening. Mm-hmm. If you leave your garden bare, you're going to have some weeds. Mm-hmm. But if you put six, eight inches of mulch on that, mm-hmm. they don't get the sunlight. You don't do anything. You take that mulch away, instant growth of stuff. Yep. Yep. Um, so, yeah, just a microcosm of that. But I just don't understand where the thought process is on that. And I don't know if it's getting infiltrated by... <laughs> I think a lot of it might come from um, anti-hunter yeah. situation or people, uh, they don't want to do anything that would enhance the hunting. A lot of lot of those organizations want everything to be natural, just you know, n- no interaction with humans or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not feasible in t- you know, today's then world. Then why aren't we killing humans then? <laughs> because we're moving. If they want well, everything see, natural. That's where Chicago is so much farther ahead than us. <laughs> <laughs> no, that it's the safest in the world yeah. with the strictest gun laws. But yeah. I'm serious. If if they're if that's their process, which I agree with you, and then they get in the we were talking the other day, infiltrate these commission boards and then Dow and they just start They do. And they, do. they know those little things that they can do and then it gets passed and now we're stuck. So now we gotta fight back. So but as far as those groups, I just there's a group for everything. There's you know? a group for everything, but we're moving out into nothing's natural about what we're doing. No, it's not. moving out into all this land and everything. You you have to control every if you control one species, you have to incro- in, in control them all. Yeah. And that was always my theory about when they come up with the wild horse thing. Oh, you can't God. Well, we can't control the deer and the elk and let the wild horses go 100%. Un, That's un, a great unchecked. Point. Mm-hmm. Great point. Um, because they just ruin everything, and they're not native. Yeah. No, they're not a split-toed animal, so they'll right. get to a water hole and drink it dry, and then dig, dig, dig and, ten yeah. feet deep. I've seen actually in northern Nevada, I I saw something moving low to the ground. And I thought it was a badger or something. I was like, "What the hell?" And I got got closer, got closer, and these horses started coming running out of this hole. And it, there was a hole twelve feet deep, ten oh, feet yeah. deep, whatever it was, and they were down there in the bottom of it digging for water and trying to get to more water mm-hmm. well you know i i don't want to go out and start shooting horses but you have to control them. Um, and if you know if you want to draw a tag to shoot a horse go ahead and have a horse mount yeah but um, and eat it and do whatever you want to do <laughs> yeah they, i mean they eat them in italy i've eaten horse yeah. before in italy mm-hmm. it was delicious oh, but you know i mean we're all people that like horses oh yeah i don't want to see horses i think it's great to go out and see a few horses I really don't like to go to, to Gerlach and Fox Mountain and see horses by the thousands. Thousands, out there. and mm-hmm. and most of them are ribs showing, hips oh, showing, so unhealthy, and they would rather do that and let them die a miserable death from predators or just dying off. Yeah. Then and you know, I mean, then taking those out and making your herd healthy. The best pack horse I ever had in my life to be thirty five years old and was a Mustang. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know. Oh, we've had them. You know we. On the on the horse side of the business, we sponsor Protect the Harvest, and Protect the Harvest puts on a big deal here in Reno on the Wild Horse for Charity, and we were the feed sponsor on that for a couple of years, and and uh, I was full support of that because that's taking them wild horses out, you know, as many as you can, you know, we're trying to promote this because they're not bad horses. Once you get them in and get them broke, a lot of them are. I mean, you should see some of these horses. I mean, they're amazing. Not only yeah. that, but they're not true 
stallions or or mustangs anymore, right? There's a lot there's a lot of horses that have been released from oh, yeah. ranchers and farmers and people on hard times will take them out mm-hmm. and now they've kind of mixed. Yeah. I, you know, there's not really a true Mustang anymore, correct? Correct. Okay. Well, I was, I was if you're hunting, looking at them, you know what I mean? They look Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I was hunting elk years ago in, over in you know, Ely, and uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but um, he had a little restaurant there, but they, his family had a big, big ranch. Mm-hmm. And he said years ago, they would, they would uh, put some of their studs out to breed with the wild horses, and then they would periodically go out there and shoot off the bad ones and the studs and everything. And he says that was where their whole supply of animals uh, came from. Uh, yeah. were, were from. They would go out there. Yep. Get young get horses good ones. and train them, whatever. Leave the other ones from, but they they kept control of how many was out there, yeah. mm-hmm. and they would change the the studs out there, the brood right. brood stock out. They'll get interbred and all that. Yeah. yeah, very smart. Sorry to interrupt you. You were talking about the, the yeah the protects are they've been doing that. I don't know if they're doing it this year or not with everything's going on, but they were doing that, and that was to promote um, the sale of wild horses you know mm-hmm. and now uh blm's got a deal where they're paying them paying you to take a wild horse they'll give you 400 bucks to come get a horse right and they you know they got their pens over there in susanville and you know just one right out here yeah out here so I, I think they're they're trying you know one of my buddies um he worked for the one up there in uh oregon and you go look at some of those horses that are in there they're you know, now they got in there and they're getting regular feed. You know, one thing that we found out, we put these twelve wild fillies on our feed, and the price the year before that we were involved in it. Then I got involved in it, and then we fed all those horses for four and a half, almost five months prior to going to the show. They gained another thousand dollars a piece on them wow. on their sale because they came in looking shiny and bright and pretty and healthy That's and cool. everything. So. You know, we were involved in that, and, you know, the, my whole point was, is like you're talking about, you got to control it. And if this is a way to filter them wild horses out of the wild, you know, and balance that a little bit, I'm all for it. Yeah, you, you would know, think so. that those groups that are against hunting and want to protect the horses and that, that you would think they would want a healthy group or a healthy herd. Mm-hmm. And Well, it, most of them I talk to they've never even seen a wild horse in the wild it's all about the cause yeah it's about the cause the, the cause you know yeah. and you're going well let me jump in the truck let me take you outside of town here i'll show you some you know we call them shitters yeah. <laughs> let me show you some that they're dying on the hoof yep. you know and this is what you want i don't think so but hey get after it if that's what you're wanting yep. you know it's you're right it's, about the cause it's a it's, cause yeah, yeah it's cause cause it was a cheryl crow the singer yeah. She was big in saving these horses out here in Nevada. Mm-hmm. She was coming out here and holding them. T Boone Pickin. What T Boone Pickens has that big ranch in Colorado yeah. or Montana yeah. or something. The mm-hmm. uh, actor or whatever. Well, he yeah he I think he's passed on now, but his yeah. wife oh, okay. has I mean hundreds and hundreds of thousands of acres, and she gets it's like a horse sanctuary, and she'll get a bunch of horses to protect them and. You know, yeah. often whatever but well hey if you want to throw your money in that exactly good. you know it, at least she's doing something you know a lot of them are just you like he said it's the, the cause and they're just bitching about it but i don't see them throwing any money in the pot but most know. of them don't no uh, it's you know us as hunters and fishermen we put our money where our mouth is we buy all the, the stamps and the hunting licenses and we go build guzzlers and and transplant animals with nbu and stuff mm-hmm. like that and and we make our herds healthy yeah. And I mean, 
we have self-imposed taxes yeah. on all our yeah. ammunition and yeah. guns. Yeah, it's, it was self-imposed that you know. Yep. The sportsman's requested. What uh, do you have any hunts coming up? I did not draw a single tag. I I may have I may be able to go, you know. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Was me? Can I come along? You, you can, know, like maybe with you on your elk hunt. Well, yeah, you can, you can be my camp cook. I will, See, I'll come back I keep to getting, salad every I night. Keep, I'm getting fired. <laughs> Les, does he not cook it? Les doesn't know how to cook. Oh, I see. He, well, he, my he, wife's been dead for seven years. I've yet. I just won the last two months to figure out how to turn the oven on. <laughs> yeah, he eats over the. He eats a, a head of lettuce over the sink. <laughs> That's what he has for most meals and until he learned about our cooking abilities. Now he's over here for breakfast, lunch, and dinner four times a week. And then when he's full here, there's always leftovers, so we always pack him up some to go okay. home. Well, give him that yeah. broccoli salad and everything that's left over today. Take it well, home you can go on my hell hunt. Yeah, man, if I you, just may. Well, it's going to be a doozy. It's going to be a deal. I'm going to. My goal is a 460. No, just joking. My, don't my, lie. Don't yeah. lie. <laughs> so it only takes three and a quarter for Nevada, and I'm a scorer, so we can get it to three and a quarter. <laughs> I, I'm going to go bigger than three and a quarter. It's a rubber tape measure. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we have that. Out. We got uh, antelope with chance coming up here in a couple weeks. Yeah, two weeks, three weeks. August 22nd. So yeah, and I'm but I'm leaving for Alaska. You are going. I'm going to go back. I'm going to go. I canceled the last one yeah, because of all that. that stuff. But now I'm going to go fish for silvers up there. Oh, nice. Where, uh, Kenai? Up on the Kenai. Cool. Yeah. When's that? It's, uh, I leave the first part of September. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, you'll be here for the first week of that. We, well, we're going to kill them opening day. We're... You going up behind my house? No, I, I heard, I found, I've got... That's where, where uh, uh, Victor, Victor, and I just heard from Russ Rodoni, the concrete guy, saw the same goat in the same spot, and he says he's really I nice mean, I don't, I don't want to say the area, but, you know... Yeah. No, I mean, it's area 21, 22. No, I meant the location yeah. in the area. <laughs> somewhere in Nevada, Les. Somewhere in Nevada. <laughs> I mean, not everybody knows where I live. So What's I your should, biggest but, antelope? I mean, you've killed... Uh, Not that that matters to the, the you know the biggest thing, but no, you know I don't know. Maybe I've never even got in the Nevada book, which is seventy eight. Yeah. So it's but it's right close to there, you know. I've never I've never killed a, a big antelope as far as that goes. You've never hunted with me. Yeah, that's true. That's true. As far as big game goes. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was impressed with two big, two, and I told you that before, a, a big elk and two big deer in a couple of years. I thought, well, okay, he can do more than shoot a duck. <laughs> well, that's what I was telling Chad yesterday. So we were talking about pickups, and I said, well, I'm just not really a Ford fan. You know, I said, more of a dog. You should be. No, no, no. I got one. Yeah, I'm good. Uh, so I said, you know, I'll, I'll probably get a new Dodge, and, and, uh, in Corning Ford Road's Red Bluff Dodge and I says well I'll get a Dodge and then you can take that Ford and haul ducks and I'll take that Dodge and haul bucks and we'll be good and, and uh, <laughs> you know it's going to take a little bit more than Ford to haul what I'm killing oh jeez you know, crickets 12 ducks and come home All right, there's, there's a, barely enough food to feed three people there's so. a there's a uh, what do you call them things a uh, survey a survey how many people would rather drive Fords versus Dodge? Jeez. I don't even know. I don't it's kind of like shopping at Walmart. It's a, that's a season, an easy answer. 
which automotive company did not take help from the government? Yeah. Ooh, I hear that. Ooh, yeah, what, yeah. And the answer is? Yeah, yeah, and I know who it is. Yeah. Exactly. Ford. That's okay. We got free money. We'll get it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, 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 uh, oh, I've owned Fords. I just, I think they're all about the same. I had pretty good luck with it coming, so I might stick with it. So, but, uh, we we were we were battling back and forth on the on the rig stuff. So. <laughs> well, I'm excited about this. Oops, drop my phone, folks. Um, this feed company, Les. Yeah, it sounds kind of interesting. You've never hunted over it, but would you would you want to go? It's kind of a cool thing. It's like a fly fisherman, right? You go out and fly fish with and catch all these fish on the flies. But the minute you learn how to tie flies, and the first fish you catch with a fly that you tied is pretty darn cool yeah so now to it's like calling a coyote yeah <laughs> and so now i think it'll be really cool to maybe go hunt with our buddies in kentucky sam natton and stuff you know and it, hunt and kill a deer that's been eating your feed and I, you know um i have i have nothing against that i, I the only thing i don't i've never hunted is high fence situations yeah mm-hmm. uh, and, and we, there was there was a reason for that because high fence boone and crocker won't take exactly yeah uh but other than that, I mean, well, it's kind of funny, you know. Some of these high fences, like we were talking about the other day. I mean, we went after deer, on, you know, a couple bucks on those. Never seen them in fourteen days or eleven days, whatever it was, you know. So it's, it's not like you're just driving out there on a side by side and whacking one and driving yeah, back. You know, five so. acre high fences. I mean, <laughs> yeah. there's some ranches that are hundreds of thousands of acres oh, in I Texas, and, and, and that's a. But they get all it takes is somebody having a hundred and fifty acres behind a high fence, mm. and then you know. Then it gets a bad rap that way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, yeah. Safari Club takes things behind a high fence, uh, but uh, Bunacraca won't. Yeah, yeah, it's true. I did, yeah. So I, I, I have nothing. We were talking the other day. I have nothing against high fence hunting over bait because if you need to do that to supply, you know, stuff for your family and be a provider, oh. it is what it is. And mm-hmm. I'm not going to bash another hunter. On how he shoots it with a bow or a crossbow or a rifle or a muzzleloader, and as long as it's legal, yep. do it. I have well, a I lot mean, of it's due to management too. So, you know, you know, if you're managing a sixteen hundred acre ranch, you're managing on that ranch. You're managing the cow herd. Obviously, most of them got cattle, and you're managing the deer herd and or elk. So it goes back to like he was talking earlier on the fish and wildlife. You know, they got. 100 deer in this area and they're going to take 10 percent out of it and they got to manage that right and same thing on these ranches too high fence or no fence you know you're managing it so and you're managing the feed the water the everything and the you know the people a lot of people bitch say oh you're just doing that so you can hunt no wait 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 wait. when i dig a water hole and we make a new water hole that's for everybody everything yeah (laughs) that's not just for deer we're doing it for everybody it's just like farming the american farmer i mean they they do that corn and for maybe silage for cows or whatever, but mm-hmm. shorebirds are eating it. I mean, ducks and geese are eating yeah, it, absolutely. deer are eating it, birds are eating it. It's so on the way up and on the way down. Yep, absolutely. It, and all through the winter if yeah, they get to it. Yeah. You know? Hunting is a business. <coughs> it, it's a tremendously big business in this. Well, ranchers, I mean, they charge trespass fees. They can't. They don't own that. They don't own the animals yep. on there in this country. Uh, but they can charge trespass fees to hunt. It's a business. Yeah, 100%. So, uh, I mean, it's a business that 
encompasses a lot of things: the manufacture of guns, of clothing, of et cetera, et cetera. Billions et cetera. and billions of dollars. Uh, so I can understand a lot of you know you you have got to make a living if you're a rancher and the price of cattle is down, but you can get five thousand dollars for somebody to come in and shoot a whitetail off your ranch. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. Uh, well, so, it's somewhere yeah. around sixty-five billion a year. You know. And if you take, that's a lot of money, you know. Hunting industry. Hunting industry, you know. And, you know, we're, last year I was looking, or year before I was looking at these studies that they're doing, and, that, you know, that's probably obviously gone up or down. I don't know which it's gone, but I'm thinking, dang, that's that's huge business, you know. <laughs> and one thing, and there's a lot of things they did not take into account for. So they took in four-wheelers and trail bikes and side-by-sides and all this stuff. One of the things they didn't take in is pickups. One of the things they didn't take in is RVs, you know. And I don't know about you, but every guy that I know that's a dedicated hunter has a pickup and an RV behind it. You know, he's pulling something or he's dragging something, you yeah, know. So Some type of trailer. Yeah, some type of a, a deal, you know. So, it's you know, you take that whole $65 billion out of the equation, and now you're talking about, you know, gas stations and supermarkets and hotels and all the stuff – you know, Sportsman's Warehouse, Cabela's, Bass Pro, you take all, that's a huge deal. Yeah. So, you know, it goes back to what we were talking about the other day is, is uh, you know, us hunters and fishermen and hikers and anybody that enjoys going in the mountains and stuff needs to, to protect their rights, you know. Yeah. And one of the guys I was talking to here a couple months ago, he doesn't hunt, but he loves going in the woods and he loves hiking. You know, he goes hiking everywhere. He he goes clear back in the high lakes and everything. And, and I says, well, what if, for example, they said, you can't do that anymore. We don't want you out in the woods anymore hiking around out here because we want to keep it all natural. He goes, well, I'm not hurting anything. I said, neither am I. Just because I go hunting doesn't mean I'm killing everything on the mountain here, you know. I said, we go years with we don't kill anything, yeah. you know, because we're pretty particular. I said, but what if somebody said you couldn't do that? And he goes, well, that wouldn't be right. I said, that's what I'm trying to get at, bud you're not worried about what I'm doing because you're getting away with what you're doing. Yeah, I said, exactly. as soon as that gets taken away from you, then, so I said, as stewards of the mountains, whether you fish, hunt, or you just like going hiking around, you better get on board with everybody else. You yeah, know? 100%. And that there's a very cool um, initiative in California waterfowl and I think probably several other states, but they're very high on buy two duck stamps mm -hmm. don't just buy one because part of that duck stamp goes back into the resource right yep. and if you don't hunt and you are an outdoorsman person buy, buy a duck one stamp anyway. buy one anyway yep. or you know if if you're like that and you don't get a tag we were talking about the other day less me and alex and him and if when you go hunting like i'm going to spend thousands of dollars to go on this elk hunt right you might not get an elk hunt again for 10 years but I'm putting in for tags and everything, and sure. and I'm not going to spend that money on every year going on a deer hunt or elk hunt or whatever it may be. So we we're talking about why not hunters, if you can afford it, take part of that money, 10%, 20%, 5%, whatever you can, on maybe the years that you don't hunt that you would spend anyway, send it into a SCI, some other conservation group, buy tags, put your money where your mouth is to protect what we're doing. Mm hmm and I think that's why this podcast today is brought to you by SEI is because they are on the ground every day 
fight for our rights. Yep. And to oh, be that's true. And and you have to do it because they have the people to do it. And yeah. so you less might throw a lot of money behind these groups into or not even you might want to go do something individual you build let's say duck boxes or blinds or take care of canvas back right mm-hmm. you do that individually might not really make a big difference but you and you know 15 million other hunters together banding together we're pretty damn strong voice yeah. mm-hmm. and yeah. that's where these groups come in put your money where your mouth is support groups like SCI so they can do the work that we all want to do and need to do mm-hmm. and um well, if you look, you know, if you look at U.S. Forest Service, that falls under ag, right? So the ag commission runs the Forest Service. Well, over the years, with the logging depleted and them, them not allowing logging to manage their forest anymore, if here probably, I think it was 15, 20 years ago, the Forest Service is just selling off everything. So they're just hiring outside groups to come in and do things, either plant trees or do some thinning, do some burning. That's why California CDF does most of the burning in California. The Forest Service doesn't really do anything. So where are they getting their money? They're getting their money from farmers and ranchers. Mm-hmm. The taxes they pay, the, you know, the income that they make, the income tax they make, all that ag money goes to support, it goes all in one big pot, right? So if you, if you pay attention to all the stuff it's all webbed together you know and as ranchers and farmers and hunters and fishermen we all got to get on the same board 100 percent. yeah totally 100 percent, lester well i'm excited that you're going to go and be camp cook for me this year yeah i'm going to go work on my recipes as <laughs> i leave here Let's make sure you <laughs> learn how to do a caesar dressing a ranch dressing because that's all we'll be eating a salad I'll, hopefully i'll bring back some uh some uh, salmon yeah and my friend up there he because i didn't get to go in july because of all that uh coronavirus but he was catching lots of halibut so he said he'd loan me up load me up with halibut beautiful i love halibut and maybe a few sockeye well if you do that Les, you got the fish right just go down and get a bunch of those pre-made salads you get frozen lasagna and frozen pizza. Make sure he's got oven in camp, and you're done. Yeah. That's true. He comes <laughs> he, back. He said, hey, what he, do we have tonight? Frozen pizza? She's ready. He wouldn't be able to figure out how to turn the oven on. So <laughs> that's the deal. But uh, I, I'd love to have you in camp. And uh, if you want to come down November 21st, have you in camp. That'd be fun. Yeah. Hopefully um, I'll be hunting at the same time. Yeah, so. Exactly. <laughs> so that was a good talk. I appreciate it. Learned a little bit about feed less. You, did yes. You, Yes, I did. And I need to learn as much as I can about how to intake feed. <laughs> <laughs> feed my deer to feed well, my Well, the bat. good thing about this, Les, it comes in a bag. You just open up a bag and you're ready to go. You well, don't have to cook nothing. <laughs> what's funny, so I talked to Sammy oh, yeah? uh, in, in Kentucky, and he said he he ate some. Did he? And he loved it. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds good to me. Sounds good to me. Yeah. A little uh, bit of milk you know, Spain. Because, I mean, I'm getting tired of eating that Yukonuba every other day. Yeah. <laughs> but that's good feed too, bro. Yeah, you gotta change up. Yeah. Alright, well, thanks for joining us on another episode of Where the Pavement Ends, Les. More to come, and uh, here's to you on this hunting season. Both you, of you. you too. You guys too. Thank you. Hey, I'm gonna catch some of those duck hunts with you guys. That's alright. That's alright too. Alright. We'll see you down the road, folks. Have a good one.